there, and welcome to the Tuesday Tribe podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Holotic, and I'm so glad you're here. Each episode, I'll be joined by another woman to hear her story and talk about everyday life. These are real women with real stories, and they want you to know that you're not alone in what you're going through. We're going to talk, answer some questions, and of course, we're going to have some fun too. I believe God wants us to be in community with each other. I believe that our lives weren't meant for isolation. I believe we're better together. And if you believe that too, then welcome to the tribe. Hello, everybody, and happy new year. I am so excited that it is 2021. I don't know about you, but I was real happy to leave 2020 behind. I am excited about 2021. I'm looking forward to a new year, fresh start, a fresh breath, and I'm just really excited that you are here with me. Welcome to the Tuesday Tribe podcast. I'm glad you're here. If you're new here, this is a podcast where we just share our stories with the hope of letting other women know that they're not alone in what they're going through. And so um, the story that you're going to hear today is a powerful one. It is, uh, it's, it's a good story. It's got some sad parts, so make sure you have some tissues handy. Um, but before we jump into that, I just want to remind you of all the things Tuesday Tribe. There are so many ways that you can get involved with this community. And so I'm just going to run through them really quickly to either remind you because I know it's been a crazy holiday season, or if you're new to let you know that this community does not just happen on Tuesdays. It is in fact every day of the week. And so the podcast comes out on the first and third Tuesday of every month. We also have an email that gets sent on the second and fourth Tuesday of every month, and that email has so much good stuff in it. There is Devo content. There is questions and answers within our community. There's product recommendations, free giveaways, or free resources, giveaways, all kinds of really good stuff. So make sure you subscribe to that. We also have a blog with lots of Devo content, um, encouraging words, all kinds of really good stuff there. And we love being social on Facebook and Instagram. So if you aren't already, make sure you head on over to those platforms. Give us a like or a follow. Say hey in the comments of our most recent post or in our direct messages, and we'll be sure to chat you back. So if you need info on any or all of that, just head on over to Instagram, tap the link in our bio, or you can check out our website and you can find everything that you're looking for on how to be involved in this community, not just on Tuesday, but every day of the week. So, like I mentioned, we have a great story ahead of us. It is my wonderful mother-in-law, Stacy. She, I love her because she's my mother-in-law, but she is also just an amazing woman and person. I think you're going to hear um, hear all about that in her story. And so, let's jump into our conversation with Stacy Halotic. All right, Stacy, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's so good to have you. Uh, for all of you listening, Stacy uh, not only is an amazing woman and um, just a, a great friend, but she is my mother-in-law. I'm so excited that she's here, um, and I can't wait for you to hear her story. It is not an easy one, but it is really good. So, Stacy, we're just going to jump right on in. Will you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I am in my early 50s and I am married and I'm the mother of two children. And as Hannah just said, an amazing daughter-in-law. Um, I am the oldest of five kids. I have three younger brothers that I was raised with 
and a stepsister that I didn't really get to know until we were um, adults. My dad, my stepfather, who I refer to as my dad, was in the military. So one of the things I'm most proud of is the fact that I'm an army brat, like I'm an army brat through and through. <laughs> um, and that's a good thing and a bad thing. So I went to 12 different schools between kindergarten and high school graduation. Mm. An extremely shy uh, kid and very introvert. So that was pretty hard on me. And so my story of grief and loss even just starts back being a child and having to say goodbye every 18 months, uh, three years um, to people. I am a Colorado native, um, which I'm also very proud of. I was raised in a Christian home. I was baptized when I was nine. I know for a lot of people when they're baptized that young, they don't really understand it or kind of get what it means. And then they kind of have to come into their own or find their own faith um, when they get older. But for me, I really, I really got it. I was a very grown up, mature nine year old for many reasons. Um, but one of the things that was super cool is my stepfather was not a very nice man when my mom first married him. And then when I was eight, he became a Christian and I saw such a change in his life that within a year, I was just like, yep, this is for me. If it can do that for my dad, then there's something really, really there. And I am a therapist. I work with children, adolescents, and families, and I've been doing that for the last 20 years. That's so good. And I just love what you said about, you know, seeing what that, what that step of faith did in your stepdad's life and how that impacted you. That's really good. So like you mentioned, we're talking about grief and loss, which is a really heavy subject. Um, and so I don't want to sugarcoat anything or anything like that. Let's just jump on in. Um, will you tell us the stories of the loss of your parents and your daughter? Sure. Um, prior to 2001, I had only experienced death with one of my grandmothers dying when I was 18 years old. And she had been sick for a little while, so it was kind of expected. Um, but in 2001, I had two grandparents die, and then my both of my parents, so my mom and the man that raised me, my dad, my stepfather, were killed by a drunk driver um, on December 1st. Um, within the next five years, all of my grandparents and my bio father died, and I ended up being the, the oldest person in my direct bloodline before I was even 40 years old. Wow. So all that to say that I thought, like, at that point, like, you know, things could get much rougher in my life. I couldn't imagine anything really worse than losing my parents and to lose them so suddenly like that. Um, but actually in 2011, so not quite 10 years after my parents were killed by a drunk driver, um, our daughter was killed in a car accident due to weather. Um, and she was 20. So those are kind of the two main stories of grief that I have in my life is losing my parents who were two of my best friends and then losing our, our 20 year old daughter. What was life like in the immediate days and weeks and months after they died? Like, like you said, having, you know, they passed so suddenly your parents and your daughter specifically, 
just what was that like and how, how did you even live after that yeah. happened? Yeah, so it was very um, shocking. So my parents were 51 and 52, which is young. <laughs> and so that it was very shocking, very um, confusing, um, and just a whole range of, of emotions. Um, like just everything that you can imagine, like, you know, sadness and anger and, you know, there's a lot of joy too, which sounds kind of odd, but, you know, you're reflecting back on people's lives and you remember the things that made you laugh and the things that made them unique and special. So really just like every emotion that you can think of, we experienced. Mm. Um, both times for me, that first year was really about a balance between being completely and totally in shock and all the things that had to get done. So, you know, the first day that my parents and my daughter died, you know, you have to call everybody and you have to tell everybody and you're having to tell a story over and over again. And then you're, you know, building the services, the memorial service or the funeral or whatever. But in all of that, you're also just having these moments of complete disbelief and shock of mm. what's going on for you. And really, for me, that lasted the full first year. Part of that, I think, is because with my parents, I was in charge of their estate. So it fell on me to sell the cars, sell the house, figure out who was getting what, manage the life insurance policies and pay their bills and all that kind of stuff. And then... Similarly, but not to as big a deal um, with Shelby also, our daughter. You know, we had to move her out of her first apartment that she had just moved in. And we had to figure out what we were going to do with all this household stuff that we now had two of everything and, you know, close down her accounts and all that kind of stuff. So the first year becomes kind of in some ways this really odd time uh, situation where moments feel like they can just fly by and then other moments it can feel like it's taking days and days to get through minutes or hours mm. and then sometimes you look back and you're like how, how has it been six months um, since they died and I really found that that's kind of an overarching theme at least in my grief where the time continuum <laughs> or whatever is not the same as it was before. And so there's times even today, 19 years after my parents have died, almost 10 years since Shelby died, that I'll be like, it seems like it was just yesterday. And then there's other times where it feels like, like when I think about the last time I hugged any of them, like, oh my gosh, that sounds, seems like a lifetime ago. Hmm. And I think one of the things I tell people, because I do a lot of work with people with grief now, um, is there's so many contradictions in grief, you know, where time speeds up, time slows down, you're feeling, you know, happy, you're feeling sad. It's just, there's a lot of contradictions in grief. Um, for me, the real work of grieving started um, in year two for me. You know, all the estate stuff's done. Everybody kind of goes back to their life. They start to forget, you know, your loved one's birthdays. Or you, they kind of get through that first year, the day that your, your loved one died, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're not really calling to check in with you or those kind of things. Our mm -hmm. world 
things like, oh, it's been a year, you, you know, you've grieved for a year, you should move on. But for me, really, year two was probably more difficult in a lot of ways than year one was because also the shock wears off. And there's something about shock that can help, you know, the adrenaline going and you keep doing what you need to do to get through the day. And when that kind of wears off, I really sunk into the grief. And the other thing about um, people going back to their own life is, unfortunately for a lot of people, they act like they can catch grief, (laughs) especially when it's the loss of a child. And even though Shelby was 20, she was still our child. So people are terrified of the idea of losing one of their kids. So one of the things that made year two and beyond really hard was um, people that we were really close to that we thought, you know, had our backs, couldn't really deal with our grief and the rawness of it. And so we lost some relationships and, and I get it, like they didn't know how to uh, behave. And it's hard when somebody that you're close to or that you love is just grieving, you know, and is just in it day in and day out, that, that gets really hard on a relationship. But again, another one of those contradictions is the really cool thing is there were a handful of people that, oh my goodness, did they come through in big ways for us? Like just people that we will, that are family now, that will always be family to us because they were there in the heart, the really hard part of it. And they're there when I'm like, okay, I need to call today and just be the grieving mom again. Mm. That's how you know, right? Like your friends and family, like you said, is, is the people who stand by you and link arms with you and hold you up when you can't. Absolutely. And I don't hold it against the people that couldn't handle it. Like I get it. And if it's meant to be, they'll come back into our lives at another time. But I get it. It's hard stuff. Yeah. It's, it's hard to not fix people. I think that's where I struggle too. When, when I have friends or family members who are grieving, I just, I want it to be better for them. And then when I don't have the power to make it better or to fix it, it's like, I don't, I don't know what to do sometimes, you know, I don't, it's hard to sit in grief. I think sometimes. It's very hard to sit in our, in grief. And I don't think our society does a good job with it. Oh, I agree. Yeah. So you mentioned um, that you're a therapist and you work a lot with people who have experienced trauma. How did your experience as a therapist come into play when it was you experiencing that trauma? Um, Well, so everything I knew or thought I knew as a therapist kind of went out the window. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I always say that I didn't choose grief. Grief chose me because I never wanted to do grief work with um, my clients. That was not really on my radar, like, I just, I mean, therapy includes some level of grief anyway, because if you're dealing with somebody that's been through abuse or trauma, there's some grief, but the, like, actual, like, somebody has died type of grief was not something I was ever looking to do. Um, I think my grief has helped me become a better therapist um, in the long run, But in the beginning, I really questioned if I could even be a therapist anymore when I went through both my parents dying and then Shelby dying, because it wasn't real therapeutic when I was sitting in session with a client and they're complaining about how they don't know how they're going to make their 
payment on their summer home. And I'm thinking, who cares? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so my daughter are dead. Like that wasn't very helpful. So part of it was I just had to do a really good job of working on myself. So I did individual counseling around the grief. I did um, grief group counseling. Um, and then I went also to a very intensive women's group that wasn't specific to grief, but had a huge piece of my healing. Um, and I have to go back for tune-ups on that. So, you know, I, I will go for a few sessions once a year or every other year when things get hard again. Because the thing with grief is so far, 19 years in, it hasn't gone away. And I don't expect that it ever is going to go away. And so for every new season or stage that I go through, it brings up new grief. So when Shelby or when Jeffrey graduated, um, Jeffrey's my son, Hannah's husband, when Jeffrey graduated or went to college or got married, there was this like huge piece of grief around the fact that Shelby wasn't there to cheer him on and the way that it impacted Jeffrey that his sister, his older sister wasn't there, um, you know, to, to see those milestones for him. And then you know, when Shelby's friends started graduating from college and getting married and having their own babies, like that's a whole nother stage of grief that I have to go through. So when those things happen, I lean back on my faith um, and the things that I know are true. I lean back on those people that I told you have become family that have just really been willing to hear me on the days when it's not pretty and when it's really hard, um, and I lean back on my therapist, I go back and I get some tune-up sessions. That's really good. I, yeah, I know for me, like, with Shelby not being at our wedding or things like that, like, like you're saying, like, it just brings up, you know, for Jeff or for you all, or even for me, just not having been able to know her, you know, it brings it up, even though on a day-to-day, -day, it's not, maybe quite as sad or it's not quite as prominent, but then you hit those, those big occasions and it's, it's really present. It's really tangible. Yeah. And then there's that whole, again, where I, I said that, you know, there's conflicting pieces in grief because it's so hard to know how to hold like the immense joy that we had for you and Jeffrey getting married and just like how beautiful that was. And, like you were the answer to prayers that I had been praying since I found out Je I was pregnant with Jeffrey and the intense sorrow of Shelby's never going to get married and Shelby's not here for Jeffrey and Hannah. So yeah, it's, it's hard. And then the piece of one of the pieces that I, and I know we're going to talk about guilt in a bit, but one of the pieces for me, that comes into play that I have to be really careful not to get too caught up in my guilt is when those big moments happen and I do have a hard time where I fall apart, I can be really hard on myself because I don't want to ruin it for Jeffrey or you or whatever Jim's going, my husband Jim's going through. Like, I don't want my grief to take away from the positives and the joy that's going on in our lives and in other people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Just finding that 
that again that paradox of feeling the joy and the and the grief at the same time so you mentioned that it's been wow 20 years since almost 20 years since your parents passed away and almost 10 since Shelby passed away i know you like you mentioned you never go back to normal but how right. do you start returning to you know everyday life going back to work going back to kind of your day to day experience after you experience such profound loss and grief yeah, I think it's definitely a, you find a new normal. I was super fortunate in that the field that I'm in, my supervisors and my coworkers, they get grief. And so they were really understanding when I had to slowly step back into counseling. And they gave me lots of um, ability to say, yeah, I can take that client, but no, I can't take this client. So that was one thing as far as my career piece that helped was I was able to just be pretty real with the supervisors and the people that were my coworkers about how hard all of this was. And they gave me a lot of grace. Um, so I was very fortunate to be in the field that I was in, I think. I think the other thing um, is the grief is always there. But what I have noticed is with each passing year, the moments between when I'm having a really hard grief day are getting much longer. And the intensity of those really hard days for the most part is decreasing. And I say for the most part, because there's still days where, yeah, I just don't feel good and I want to call my mom. Um, or those stages we talk about where there's big things that are happening, you know, the holidays are really hard on me because my parents died around the holidays and then just the whole piece of not having Shelby around for the holidays. But we found new traditions. You know, we keep some of the traditions. There's some things that are still really important to us that we do because it was important to my parents or we did it with Shelby and Jeffrey when they were kids. But we also find new traditions and we give ourselves grace about, you know what, our Christmas doesn't have to look the way it used to or even the way that other people's Christmases look. It, it's okay if it's different. I think the other thing is just the big thing that was hard for me to kind of navigate in that new normal is who am I going to tell about my loss and how much am I going to tell them? Hmm. Because one of the big questions that people say when they meet you, when they meet a woman in her 50s, is do you have kids? And I am always kind of like, how do I answer that question? Do I say, yeah, I have two kids? Do I say, yeah, I have a son and a daughter that passed away? Do I just say I have a son? Like, and for me, what I've learned is it depends on how I'm doing that day and it depends on who's asking. And it depends on how I'm kind of reading that other person on how much they can handle. And in the beginning, I had a lot of guilt, like if I didn't say, yeah, I have two kids or my daughter died, there was a lot of guilt around that. Like I felt like, okay, maybe I'm not doing Shelby justice, but I've learned along the way that there's a lot of people that really don't know how to react to that. And I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable about it. So it's just those kind of things, like figuring out even just little things, like how do you answer the question about you know, if you have kids. Wow. Yeah. That's something I would have never even thought of. Like, I think, you know, people who haven't experienced that just don't think about things like that, but that 
is like now such a big part of your life because you're meeting people, you're right. I mean, I even get asked that and I'm in my 20s, like, do you have kids? Do you and Jeff have kids? And it's just a really common question. And yeah. so, yeah, that's something I wouldn't have even thought that you would have to kind of navigate how to answer. Yeah, well, I had to navigate it early on. So I had a whole like ugly cry sobbing session in Weight Watchers, like a few months after Shelby died. Because I walked in, I'd been going to this Weight Watchers meeting forever and ever, walked in and this new lady was checking us in and no one had ever asked me about my kids. And she asked me if I had kids. And thank goodness I had a really wise friend with me that when I started blubbering and this woman just looked like, what did I do? My friend stepped in and got me situated and then said to the lady, it's not about you. She just lost her daughter a few um, weeks, ago, a few months ago in a car accident. Um, so that happened pretty early on. But yeah, I mean, in the beginning, I felt like I either I would cry um, or I would feel like I didn't know how to answer it. And people would be looking at me like, what, you don't know if you have kids or not? <laughs> But I've learned now that it's okay. I don't have to tell everybody everything about my story. Yeah, that's really good. That's something I think everyone can learn from is, you know, there are certain people that you let into that, that deeper, you know, knowledge of you. So you've mentioned guilt a couple of times, and I do want to talk about that. Just like, what were your, what was your experience, you know, with those feelings of guilt as you kind of moved on after they had passed away? And how did you navigate and kind of overcome those feelings of guilt. My therapist hat on, I'll say, you know, guilt is one of the stages that we go through with grief. Um, and I knew that going into it, but it hit in ways that I didn't expect it. And I think part of that is like, I had no guilt in the fact that a woman decided to drink in the middle of the day and ended up killing my parents. I, you know, I had no guilt in that, Shelby was driving home from an orthodontist appointment, hit black ice, you know, and was killed in a car accident. But there was other guilt, like for with my parents, um, the car that they were in was a Firebird that my husband had restored. And my parents bought it from us so that we could buy our first home. And so my husband and I both felt a lot of guilt, like, hey, if they hadn't been in the Firebird, would they have survived? If they'd been in their SUV, would they have survived? So kind of that kind of thing. And then with Shelby, there was a lot around like, I'm the one that taught her to drive, you know, so was it something that I didn't teach her well enough about black ice? Um, it was me that let her talk me into an SUV, even though it was against my better judgment, you know, so some of those kind of things that I really feel like that kind of stuff, when it becomes overwhelming and that's all you're thinking about, that's lies from Satan. Mm. Um, it's his way of getting in there and trying to make us think things that aren't true. Um, with Shelby, she, um, she was thrown from her car, which was really hard for Jim and I because we taught our kids just how important it is to wear seatbelts. And I just could not wrap my mind around the fact that she didn't have a seatbelt on. Well, we now know that it was probably one of two things. She either didn't put it on by accident because she was super upset. She had had an argument with her orthodontist and had called her dad to tell him what was going on and just really upset. Or 
we now know that her vehicle was one of those where the seat belts were failing. And so it may have been one of those two things, but I, I really, in the beginning, like all of our family and all of her friends would say, Shelby always put her seatbelt on and she made sure that she didn't start the car till everybody in the car had her seatbelt on. Um, and then there was some guilt that shouldn't have been on me that like people do and say really nasty things. And so we got comments from people because Shelby's death was widely um, advertised in the news and on Facebook and in the papers and people would just say horrible things about mm -hmm. the fact that she was thrown from her seatbelt or she was going too fast or how could her parents let her be out driving when the weather was that way like stuff that was put on to us that we shouldn't have had to experience and then another area for me grief wise when my parents died, my reaction when I got the call was in front of my kids and it was a bad, a really bad reaction. Like I collapsed, I was screaming and crying and I threw the phone and it really did a number on my kids because they had never seen their mom not feel like she would, they never felt like their mom wasn't able to manage things or take control of, of things. Mm -hmm. I know for Jeffrey, one of the things he told me later was that was one of the scariest things about my parents dying was my reaction to it. So for a long time, I had guilt around that. But then I just, one of the things I do when I'm feeling guilty is I try to think of what I would say to somebody else that was going through it. And that's how people react when they get that kind of news. Yeah. I think the other area of guilt for me is not being able to fix it for my kids, especially with regards to fixing it for Jeffrey when Shelby died, because there isn't anything I can do to fix it. And so here I am trying to grieve myself and also try to be there for him as a mom and not knowing how to like help him through that necessarily. Mm, wow. I, I just don't have words that, yeah, I, having not experienced anything like that, I, I can't even begin to imagine. So what did it look like as you, like, how do you combat that guilt? And how do you, you know, when the feelings of guilt start to creep up, how do you push it back down? Or, you know, what are some of your coping mechanisms with the guilt? Um, reminding myself that the guilt is most likely from Satan. It's not of God. God doesn't hold me guilty in these accidents and what has happened, you know, to my loved ones. Um, I think journaling has been a huge help to me. And then going back um, to the verses in the Bible that have just really held true for me um, and reminding myself that God doesn't, you know, hold me guilty for for those things. I think it's been probably the thing that's helped the most. Mm, that's so good. I love, I love that you use like God's word, you know, the truth that's found in it to combat, like you said, those lies that Satan throws at us. There's, there's no better kind of weapon against that, I think, than just reminding yourself of those verses and having them close at hand. Yeah. And I, I have a, you know, handful that have just gotten me through so much of the grief and loss. 
Yeah, that's so good. How did your loss um, impact your marriage or other relationships that you had? Like, what did it look like and what does it look like now, you know, many years later? Yeah, so for many people, grief, especially over the death of a child, will end a marriage or will make a marriage so miserable. And I knew that because of what I do for a living. And so I just named it right away, like literally the night my parents were killed by the drunk driver, when Jim and I went to bed that night, I just said, this is going to be really hard. And if we're not really intentional about it, I could lose myself in this and it could be hard on our marriage. And then when Shelby died, the same thing. We just said, we're not going to let this be what pulls us apart. You know, we're going to, we're going to do what we need to do to make this make us stronger and we're going to turn to God and turn to our faith and what we know about one another and what's good about one another um, and just work really hard not to let this be the thing that causes our marriage to fail. And I really do think in, in the long run, it has been that the grief has brought us to such a much deeper and richer marriage than we would have ever had. So it's one of those like paradox of it really is awful and it hurts and it sucks that we've been through so much um, grief and loss in our marriage, but we've had to lean on each other in ways that a lot of couples never have to lean on each other. Um, And we've seen each other at really, really bad times and been able to still love each other and when we when you aren't feeling very loving towards each other turn to god and let god's love for that person be what helps us uh, get through it because i have not been easy to live with (laughs) with all this grief and loss Um, and i'm very fortunate that god gave me an amazing husband that is very patient and is willing to put up with my really hard days and those days where maybe it's too hard for me to get out of bed for a couple days in a row and he just picks up the slack. And I think that's another place that we've seen God in all this. He has been so good to us in that if I'm having a really rough day or a really rough week, normally Jim and Jeffrey, when he was still living with us, are actually doing pretty good grief-wise. And then when one of them are really struggling, normally the other two of us are doing okay. So I don't know that that's the case for everybody, but in our family, it's really worked for us that it seems like our grief, not counting those first early days, because we were all wrecks then. But, you know, as time goes on, if I'm having just a really rough day, usually Jim's in a good space and vice versa. Mm, that's so good. That reminds me of that verse that says, you know, a cord of three strands isn't easily broken. Like even if one, one, one of the strands is frayed or even broken, the other two, like you're saying, you know, can hold on and hold each other kind of together. That's really good. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other verse that when I was thinking about the marriage piece that came up for me, one is the, and it comes up for me a lot in my grief, but one of the other verses, and I even jotted it down because I didn't want to forget it, was that my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Because there's not a, I have not experienced a deeper weakness in my life than 
what I look like or what I'm what have been like as I'm going through grief and loss. I think that's where the depth and the richness that I talked about in our marriage has come through is like, there's no way we could have gotten through this without God. And our weakness has just put a huge spotlight on God's goodness and on like how perfect he is. Mm, I love that. That's so good. Um, my last question for you before we head to a break, we've kind of been talking about it along the way. You mentioned um, when you were little, you know, just the this, this strength and security you had in your faith. And so my last question for you before the break is just in all of this, where did your faith come in? And, you know, I think about I think about the times in my life when I've gone through something really hard and I know it's it's nowhere near, you know, as hard as losing a loved one. But just like the the disappointment and the anger that I felt at God sometimes, like how did you, after losing your parents and your grandparents and your daughter, like how did you still follow God after all of that loss? A couple things regarding my faith. Um, one of the hardest things for me faith-wise was, but also one of the most beautiful things that I think have come out of the grief and loss of my parents and the way they um, died because of a drunk driver was being able to live out the idea of grace and forgiveness for someone else. You know, so I, I really believe that God has forgiven me and gives me a lot of grace. Um, but I didn't really know what that looked like until I had to be the one that was giving forgiveness to the lady that killed my parents because of drinking and driving. So that has been like, there's a whole level of my faith that I don't think I would have ever had or understood had I not lived through that. And that's not to say that it's all rainbows and roses, but I feel like we did what we were called to do. And in that God has redeemed a lot of things for myself and my brothers. And it, it's just given me such a bigger understanding of how God loves and forgives us because I'm forgiving her for one thing she did. God forgives me for a multitude of things that I screw up on a daily basis. And then I think the other thing is that it's really drove me closer to God because really I think part of it is, is that he was all I could cling to sometimes. There were times where I didn't know how I was going to make it through the night or if I even wanted to continue to live. And I knew that I couldn't always say that to other people, but I could say that to God. You know, he understands me fully because he's the one that created me. And he knows like how impactful those relationships were in my life and just how true and deep the loss of those relationships are. The other thing is it's given me the ability to do things in my faith I would have never done before. Like I absolutely hate to speak in front of groups of people or on the radio or on a podcast or anything like that. And because of this, I, I do share my story. I share my story in front of military survivors and I share my story at trainings and so that people can learn from it. And I don't think I would have been able to do that if it weren't for what I went through and how God has shown up in those moments. And then the other thing is I've just been really been able to be really real in my faith with God. There's times I'm so angry and I know now that it's okay for me to be angry and to say those things to God and to question why 
things have happened the way that they have happened. I mean, one of a good, really good example of that is Shelby was really sick from October to December. Like, thought they thought she had cancer. We were going to doctor's appointments several times a week. They just couldn't figure out what was wrong with her. And then she had her tonsils taken out and some other things done. And all of a sudden she was starting to kind of bounce back and she moved into her own apartment and like just all these really fun things that for a little while there, we didn't know if was going to happen for her. And then February comes around and she's killed in a car accident. And I just did not understand why God didn't take her when she was sick, when we were preparing for it. Mm versus letting us get through all of that and her dying in a car accident. And then I just like kept asking that question to God, like, and, and sometimes I was angry and sometimes I was just confused. And finally it came to me that like when Shelby was sick, we got to like really be with her. We got time with a 20 something year old that we wouldn't have gotten otherwise because she was sick and she was relying on us and we had to bring her food and she wanted me to lay in bed with her and cuddle her. And that wasn't her personality. So really once I got there, I'm like, that was such a gift God gave us. You know, that those couple months where we just had our girl and she had to rely on us and we were there for her. You know, just being able to be real and be okay with being angry with God and being confused with God. And I never would have done that prior to all this because I felt like it wasn't okay for me to question God. Mm. Mm, That's so good. Yeah, that's so good. Like just being able to look back and see the hard moments and recognizing, you know, God's ability to to put a good spin on on them and, and make them seem better and you know, remember them with good memories instead of, you know, the painful, the painful part that's there too, but the the good is there too. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that I always tell people is, you know, I can tell you the things that have gone really well for me through this whole process of grieving, but I never want people to think that I'm saying that it's not hard and that there's not days where you just wish that you know, you were, it was over and you were in ter- in eternity with the people you love because it is hard. It's hard. It's really hard, but there's also beauty in it, especially if you lean on your faith and lean on your God. Mm, that's really good. And I think that's a great place for us to stop. We're going to take a quick break. Everyone listening, grab a tissue, blow your nose, whatever you need to do. And then we'll be right back with Stacy with some fun questions. So we'll be right back. All right, we are back with Stacy. Stacy, before we jump into fun questions, I just want to say thank you on behalf of me, but also on behalf of all of our listeners. Just thank you for your vulnerability and for being honest and sharing something so hard. I know um, that it's not always easy to talk about, but it's it's so important and um, just impactful for the people listening. So thank you again for being on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. All right. My first fun question for you is what product, so it can be a book, a show on Netflix, movie, anything like that. What product are you loving right now? 
Um, so I love, I, I don't drink a lot of soda. I try to stay away from sugar and caffeine, but sometimes I just really want something other than water. And I have stumbled on water that's called hint and I just love it. It's so good. It's, it's not, um, bubbly. So I like that about it. And it just has like a fruit essence to it. That's really enjoyable. So, ah, my mom loves that. And she, when we were back in Colorado, I can't remember which time she gave some to me and Jeff to drink while we were there. And it, you're right. It's so good. It's really refreshing too. It is. All right. My next fun question for you is what did you want to be when you were a kid? So I always, always wanted to be a wife, a mother and a homemaker. Like I think part of it's the older sister, um, in me that I just thought like that was what I was meant to be. And then I thought once my kids were grown that I would really like to write children's books or be a librarian. Those both sound fantastic. Yeah. And I've done neither of those. (laughs) There's still time. Yeah. Maybe I'll write children's books for my grandchildren. There you go. All right, last fun question for you is, what is your love language? Um, My love language is quality time, especially if it's over Mexican food and margaritas. Kind of say that if I could choose between a weekend of spending time in conversation and playing board games with the people I love, or somebody would give me $1,000, I'd choose the weekend. (laughs) I love it. So good. Yeah, Mexican food, margaritas, hanging out with people. That sounds pretty good to me too. All right, last question for you is the way that we end every podcast episode. Um, part of the, the reason that we do this podcast is just that we believe that our stories are our most powerful ways to tell other people about just how good and amazing God is and and we can see that in in our lives and so my question for you is what do you want other women to know about God from your story oh I think I want people to hear how faithful he is even when things are falling apart around us even when everything is falling apart around us and especially in tragedy that he just comes through in a big way Um, he's a big God and he can handle all our thoughts, all our feelings, all of our questions. And I think also just that there's been times during this whole process and really during my entire life where there's seasons where I don't do as good a job reading my Bible or don't go to church every single weekend, which is really important to my faith. I feel like I need that. But I can like get off track a little bit. And as long as I turn back just one step to God, he's there. Like he's just there and he accepts me for who I am, even during the really hard stuff when I'm crying and I can't get out of bed and I'm angry. He's just, he's there. He's so faithful. Mm, I love it. It's so good. It's so true. He's, he's always with us and yeah. I love that. And I think that's a great place for us to end. So Stacy, thank you again, just so much for being here and sharing your story. Um, It's been so good to talk to you today. And uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm glad that you, that you came on. Well, I feel blessed by you and the podcast and I'm so 
excited to call you my daughter-in-law. I love you so much. I love you too. We'll talk soon. All right. Be honest. How many of you needed some tissues? I know I did for sure. After Stacy and I stopped talking, I definitely had a moment where I was just wiping my eyes a little bit. There's no shame. It's all right. I love her story. I hope that you heard in her story, um, like we were talking about a lot, just that paradox that grief and joy can and often do exist at the same time. And so if you are going through intense grief right now, I want you to know that my heart is going out to you. Or maybe if someone you know is experiencing that right now, I hope that you'll convey to them that I'm praying for them. We love them here in this community. And all of those emotions, the crazy ones, the grief, the sadness, the guilt, the joy, the excitement, all of that is welcome in this space. And so this is a safe space where we can just bring all of that. We're going to carry each other's burdens and we're going to draw near to God in those moments. So I'm glad that you got to hear Stacy's story. Fun new thing, if you or someone you know has a story that you want to share or think that maybe God is leading you to share um, that might impact another woman, remind her that she's not alone, that God has a plan for her life. If, If there's something that's coming to your mind right now that God is bringing to the forefront of your mind or your heart, there is now an application to be on the podcast. You can be a guest on the podcast and share your story. And so just head over to Instagram. You can find the link to that application in our Instagram link bio. Or you can email Community at gmail.com. Just put it in the subject line. Leave me a quick message that says you're interested in being on the podcast. And I'll send you that link to that application. And what that application is, is just a few questions about you, your story, things like that. After I receive that application, I'll reach out. We'll have a quick conversation and we'll figure out some next steps. So again, if God is bringing something to your mind or your heart, or if God is bringing someone to your mind or your heart right now, who you think she has an amazing story and other women could really benefit from hearing it, I would love for you to just apply apply to be on the podcast and we'll see what God does with it. And as we always do, we're going to end with a benediction. That's, again, for those of you who are new or maybe you forgot, that's just a really fancy way of saying it's my blessing from me to you as you move on with your day, your week, whatever this week holds. Um, It's just my encouragement to you as we say goodbye in our time together today. So until next time, may you look back at the faithfulness God has already shown you. At your hardest, darkest moments, God was with you still. May you look ahead and believe that God is able. Whatever the road before you holds, he will hold you through it all. And may you look inward at the spirit of God living in your very veins. When life is full of confusion and chaos and pain, remember that you are full of strength and value and purpose, and your supply will not run out. And may you always remember, we're better together.